You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Good morning and welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm David Ignatius, a columnist for The Post. My guest today is Jens Stoltenberg, the Secretary General of NATO and the person who is at the epicenter of the crisis that's building on the Ukrainian border. Mr. Secretary General, thank you for joining us at this crucial moment for NATO and the West. Uh, welcome to Washington Post Live. Thank you so much for having me, David. It's a great uh, pleasure to be with you today. Before we start, I, I want to just uh, remind our audience that if you want to join our uh, conversation on this talk topic, please tweet any questions that you have to post live, and we'll try to take a look at them, and if we can, use some. Mr. Secretary General, I want to start with the situation near the border. Over the last 48 hours, have you and NATO seen any increases in Russian forces? And do you think, based on any uh, intelligence precursors that you're seeing, that preparations for an, an attack are imminent, that they're moving things that they would need uh, to use in a hurry? So what we see is that the buildup uh, continues uh, with uh, more and more uh, combat uh, troops, uh, with uh, artillery, with uh, armored uh, uh, vehicles, with uh, uh, more ammunition, with more uh, fuel and supplies. Uh, and uh, we also see that they are now starting to move into an increased Russian presence in Belarus. Uh, we see uh, where they also will have planes and helicopters. Uh, so. All of this together, of course, uh, makes uh, the warning time uh, shorter and shorter. So we need to be prepared. There is a real risk for uh, a new Russian invasion or, or uh, some form of aggressive action against uh, Ukraine. Uh, but at the same time, there's no certainty. Uh, and we continue to work for a, a political uh, solution. Uh, Russia has a choice either to to engage in a political dialogue with NATO and NATO allies or to, to choose a confrontation. It's up to them. We'll get uh, to the diplomatic uh, options in a moment, uh, Mr. Secretary General. I want to just stay with the military situation on the border. Russia has scheduled exercises with Belarus from February 10 to 20, and many have speculated that that might be the moment in which the risk of invasion would be greatest. Do you share that assessment? It is a serious risk that uh, exercises like the exercise uh, that is scheduled in Belarus uh, can be used as a disguise uh, for uh, a military uh, action uh, uh, invasion of uh, Ukraine, uh, because that has happened before. That was actually what happened back in 2014 when they uh, annexed uh, Crimea and also when they uh, went into uh, and took control over uh, Donbas, uh, parts of eastern uh, Ukraine. So, so Russia has used military exercises before uh, as disguise, as a cover. Uh, they have also moved in time their strategic exercise. Uh, uh, normally, that should have taken place several months ago, but now it will uh, came at the same time, take place at the same time as uh, uh, the military exercise uh, in Belarus. Uh, so, uh, when you see that military buildup that continues, 
uh, when we see all the different exercises that are uh, planned uh, in uh, around Ukraine uh, and combine that with the threatening rhetoric uh, where they uh, uh, demand something from us they don't they know they cannot uh, get uh, and say there will be consequences uh, military technical consequences as they put it if we don't meet their demands and then on top of that, we have the track record of Russia using force against Ukraine uh, before. Uh, so military buildup, exercises, threatening rhetoric and a track record, all of that together, of course, make this a serious threat we have to take very uh, uh, seriously. So let me ask you the question that I, I think the world uh, uh, most uh, wonders about in terms of NATO. And, and that is what your response would be in the hours after a Russian attack. Ukraine is not a NATO member and President Biden and others have been clear that NATO troops wouldn't be involved, but you would take actions to protect the alliance. Give us a sense of what they might be. So we have made it very clear that there will be uh, severe consequences for Russia, a high price to pay. That is partly economic and political sanctions uh, against Ukraine that NATO allies uh, will impose. Partly the fact that uh, since 2014, uh, NATO and NATO allies have uh, uh, trained, uh, supported uh, the Ukrainian armed forces in many different ways. So they're much more uh, capable of defending themselves now than in 2014, much larger uh, army, uh, better equipped, better trained, better command. So, so, so the Ukrainians, uh, uh, are able to actually uh, uh, also uh, fight against uh, invading Russian uh, troops and forces. And, and thirdly, uh, and that's that we will of course make sure that there is no misunderstanding about NATO's readiness, uh, commitment to protect and defend all NATO allies. Uh, Ukraine is a partner, uh, uh, but for NATO allies we have, uh, and we support them, but for NATO allies we have 100% security guarantees. Uh, uh, our you know, collective defense clause, Article 5, uh, uh, an attack on one ally will trigger a response for the whole alliance. And therefore, we have already increased our military presence in the eastern part of the alliance with more ships, with more planes. The U.S. has put, a, for the first time in decades, a, a aircraft strike a group under NATO command. Uh, uh, U.S., U.K., uh, uh, France and others have made clear that they are ready to deploy troops and forces uh, to, uh, uh, to uh, the eastern part of the uh, NATO alliance. And we have increased already the um, readiness of the NATO response force in total around 40,000 troop, uh, troops that can be deployed on short notice. So, so we have done a lot to make sure that we deter uh, any aggression against NATO allied countries and that we're able to, uh, as we have already increased our presence, but we're also able to further uh, significantly increase NATO's military presence in the eastern part of the alliance if needed. Uh, Mr. Secretary General, despite uh, statements like the ones you uh, just made this morning, there has been some skepticism uh, in different capitals about the seriousness of this crisis, led not surprisingly by Russia, uh, which uh, said today uh, at the United Nations Security Council that the United States and by extension NATO was stoking hysteria. On Friday, as you know, uh, Ukrainian President Zelensky complained that the US and NATO were needlessly scaring Ukrainians and suggested that there might be a political motivation for this uh, crisis and the rhetoric coming out of 
Washington uh, and other other capitals. You've seen the intelligence. You're in the middle of this. What do you say to these arguments that this is politically motivated, stoking hysteria? What would the NATO Secretary, Secretary General say in response? I will say that we are receiving a lot of intelligence. Uh, a lot is also available from open sources, from commercial satellites, uh, and so on. And, uh, and there is no certainty uh, about exactly what Russia will do, and uh, most likely uh, no final decision has been uh, made. Um, so in that sense, there is, there, no one can uh, predict exactly what will uh, happen in the uh, coming uh, weeks and months. Um, uh, but what we do know is that there is a continued military build-up, the largest massing uh, of forces in Europe since, uh, since the Second World War. Uh, and these are combat-ready, heavy-equipped uh, 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 forces, and we see them from the uh, uh, south, uh, uh, Crimea, uh, then we see them in the east, in, 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 in proper Russia, but also in, in Donbass, and we see, of course, now and more and more to the north um, in, in Russia, but also partly in, in Belarus. And, this, and there is no sign that this military buildup is, is slowing down, actually it continues. Um, and then, so that, that's a fact, that, 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 that's a reality. Uh, and, and, and then we can all read the very uh, threatening statements and the kind of ultimatum uh, Russia is putting uh, uh, to NATO, uh, which, uh, which demands uh, things from us, they know we cannot deliver. Uh, and then we have the track record, as I said, uh, and then we have the exercises. So, so, well, we are describing the facts, uh, and the reality is that Russia's military buildup is unexplained and unjustified. So it's for Russia to explain and for Russia to de-escalate and for Russia to engage in a serious uh, political dialogue with NATO and NATO allies. We have conveyed clearly that we are ready to do uh, so. Uh, when it comes to President Zelensky, I have regular contact with him, uh, spoken with him many times over the last uh, weeks and months. And, uh, and of course, they are also concerned, but they are also uh, uh, they also now see the consequences of just the heightening tensions. Uh, uh, for instance, when it comes to uh, the, 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 the financial flows out of, of, of Ukraine, and that's a, that's a serious concern. That's a, that's a, that's a, already kind of a price they have to pay uh, for the Russian military buildup in and around Ukraine. So uh, Zelensky has spoken Friday and in recent days about his concern about panic and statements that could panic his population in Ukraine. But I, I want to ask you whether it's possible that the U.S. And, and NATO are getting their signals crossed in this sense. We want to scare and deter the Russians to prevent them from invading, and we want to reassure the Ukrainians. But you sometimes wonder if we're doing the opposite. We're scaring the Ukrainians, and in some odd ways, maybe reassuring the Russians. Well, how would you react to that criticism? That it would have been irresponsible if we didn't address the uh, continued military buildup that has taken place over many weeks. Uh, if, if, if NATO didn't react to that at all, uh, then I think it would have been justified to criticize us for being passive. Uh, uh, we are, uh, as I said, describing the facts. 
uh, but we're also then conveying a message to Russia uh, to deter them from uh, using those forces. Uh, we are consulting very closely with uh, Ukraine uh, at many different levels, also here in Brussels, uh, and we are describing a, a way out, uh, uh, providing uh, uh, Russia an opportunity to sit down uh, and we met recently the NATO-Russia Council, we didn't agree, but at least uh, that was a sign or a step in the right direction to, uh, to de-escalate and to find a political uh, solution. But again, for NATO not to respond to the biggest military build-up in Europe since the end of the uh, Second World War, uh, uh, and actually this is also in Belarus and also uh, uh, not so far from NATO borders, um, that would have been impossible, especially since this build-up is met with direct uh, threats, also uh, uh, threatening rhetoric towards NATO allies. They are asking us to 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 give up core principles for NATO, uh, the right for every nation to choose its own path, and 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 the right for NATO to defend and protect all allies. They want actually also to move out all troops and all infrastructure from all NATO allies that joined NATO after 1997, meaning almost half our members. There will be some kind of uh, second-class members because we don't have the same right and a possibility to uh, to defend these allies. So so. There's no, op no, no possibility, there's no option for NATO not to react, uh, and, and we really try to be balanced. We convey a message of deterrence, but also a message of uh, dialogue, uh, and, uh, and again, uh, we really uh, urge Russia to choose the path of dialogue. Before we turn to d diplomacy, uh, Mr. Secretary General, I want to just ask you one more fundamental military question. You said that NATO is prepared for the worst. NATO is a, is a military alliance that uh, is uh, protected by uh, US and, and other uh, nuclear weapons. Uh, it's uh, an alliance that absolutely guarantees the security of its members. What would NATO be prepared to do if this war spilled over the borders of Ukraine. For example, Poland is a close ally of Ukraine, and it's my understanding, I've written in my column, Poland is prepared to offer medical assistance to uh, Ukrainian who were, Ukrainians who were wounded in, in fighting. Uh, suppose uh, Russians chose to attack or block those uh, pathways uh, between Ukraine and, and, and Poland. Can you envision a situation in which NATO forces would have to get involved to protect Poland? And then the final question, how do you protect that from becoming an all-out crisis that could rise to the level of a nuclear confrontation? So NATO is the strongest military alliance in the world and in history. We represent 50% of the world's military might and 50% of the world's economic might. Uh, and as long as we stand together, we are uh, able to defend and protect uh, all NATO allies against any threat. Uh, and to make sure that there is no room for miscalculation, misunderstanding about that, we have increased our presence, uh, especially in the eastern part of the alliance. We have done that over the last weeks and months, so for instance, with the, the, the US announcement of uh, uh, high readiness of US troops that can be put under NATO command uh, with the, 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 the aircraft carrier under NATO command uh, and other allies are sending in uh, capabilities, uh, Spain, Denmark, uh, 
uh, and and many of the Netherlands and many others. Um, uh, but 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 this is on top of what has taken place now over uh, close to eight years uh, since. 20, since 2014, NATO has implemented the biggest reinforcement of our collective defense uh, since the end of the Cold War. Uh, with battle groups, uh, NATO-led battle groups in the eastern part of the alliance in the Baltic countries and, uh, and Poland, uh, with air policing, uh, increased naval presence, um, uh, and a new command structure. Uh, and we have seen more U.S. troops. Um, European allies are extremely grateful for the fact that the U.S. have, uh, over the last years, deployed a new brigade uh, uh, in uh, Europe, uh, 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 more prepositioned equipment, uh, more more big exercises uh, 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 in the north and, and in the south and in the east of the uh, alliance. Um, and all of this sends a very clear message that we are ready to defend and protect all allies. And the purpose of that is to prevent exactly what you uh, uh, talked about, to prevent that Russia or any other potential adversary just tries to take control of any NATO territory or because the, the consequences will be so uh, devastating. So the purpose of NATO is not to provoke a conflict, it is to prevent the conflict. The purpose of deterrence is to deter aggression. And uh, we have done so successfully for more than 70 years uh, during the Cold War when tensions were also, even higher and, uh, and, and, and we had more troops and, and, and more uh, so armies lined up uh, along the borders than we, than we even have today. So this has worked for 70 years. Uh, it's going to continue to work as long as we continue to do what NATO has done uh, to invest more in defense. And that's also something we have seen in the last years. After many years of cutting defense spending, uh, all European allies have actually increased uh, defense spending Every year since 2014, added uh, together with Canada 260 billion extra US dollars since we made a commitment uh, at the NATO summit in 2014 to start to increase uh, defense spending. So, so all of this is there to prevent any aggression against any NATO allied country. Obviously, the strength of this alliance lies in its unity. Some commentators in the last several weeks have expressed concerns about the unity of NATO, noting that on some issues, major countries like France and Germany are not in, in precise alignment with the United States. Do you have concerns as the Secretary General about NATO's unity? So first, I think we have to distinguish between unity and then uh, whether there are differences. NATO is an alliance of 30 allies from both sides of the Atlantic with uh, uh, different uh, governments and different capitals, different history, different uh, 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 political uh, uh, leaderships. Uh, and so, so, of course, there are differences and different opinions about many things. That has been the case in NATO since we were established, back to the Suez crisis in '56. Uh, or, or, or in the 60s when uh, France decided to to leave the uh, military cooperation in 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 NATO, or the or, or the Iraq War in 2003. So, uh, so, so there have there are and will be and 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 has been <laughs> differences between NATO allies. But the strength of NATO is exactly as you said, our unity, meaning that we have always been able to unite around our core task, the core commitment, Article Five. 
that we are ready to protect and defend each other. And also over the last years, uh, under different US administrations, we have seen not less, but more US presence in, uh, in Europe. And for me, it's hard to see any stronger expression of uh, uh, allied uh, willingness to protect and defend each other than we actually are uh, uh, standing up uh, and doing more uh, together. So, so uh, yes, there are differences, but on the core message of the readiness to defend, uh, we do that together. And now, for instance, Germany leads one of the battle groups in the in the eastern part of the alliance in Lithuania. Before 2014, we had no combat troops in the eastern part of the alliance. Now Germany is leading one of the combat ready troops uh, or battle groups in in the Baltics. Uh, France has made it clear over the last weeks that they are ready or days that they are ready to deploy uh, yet another ba battle group uh, to Romania under NATO command. Uh, and, and so other allies are also stepping up and declaring willingness to, to provide forces uh, uh, to different NATO missions and, uh, and operations. So, so on the main issue, the unity and the commitment to defend, uh, there is uh, absolutely unity in our lines. Uh, Mr. Secretary General, let's turn to diplomacy, which we all hope can be successful in this uh, crisis. We've just learned within the last few minutes that uh, Secretary of State Blinken will talk to Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov tomorrow, uh, if my information is correct, to continue the diplomatic dialogue. NATO uh, received a detailed uh, draft treaty from Russia back in December. And you submitted a, a detailed written response to that Russian document uh, in the last uh, several weeks. Tell us about how NATO responded to the Russian treaty in as much detail as you can. The first thing we did was actually to invite them to uh, a meeting in the NATO-Russia Council, uh, and they uh, accepted, which is a good sign, a first step, uh, because uh, Russia has refused to meet in the NATO-Russia Council for uh, more than two years. Uh, we sat down, we had open, uh, difficult discussions, but at the same time that uh, was exactly why the meeting and the, uh, and the discussions were so uh, important. Uh, uh, second, uh, uh, I have conveyed the message uh, to, uh, to, to Russia and all the 30 allies. I actually invited them for a series of meetings uh, to continue uh, dialogue and to see and to look for a way, a uh, common ground and a way uh, forward. And thirdly, as you said, we sent them last week um, uh, a written uh, uh, response, uh, written proposals. Um, and that outlines uh, topics and areas where we see room for uh, uh, common ground. Um, so uh, this is about partly the state of the NATO-Russia uh, relationships, uh, re relationship, and this is about uh, using the lines of communications we already have, but also, also to establish new lines, both for and strengthening uh, civilian and military lines of communications. And this is about uh, uh, in, uh, uh, re-establishing the diplomatic relationships between NATO and, uh, and Russia because they closed down our NATO office in in, um, in Moscow uh, and they and in Russian mission to NATO. We should uh, re-establish those offices. Um, uh, and this is also about uh, other ways of 
of uh, of improving the kind of the, the institutionalized relationship between NATO and uh, and Russia. Then it's about NATO, uh, uh, sorry, European uh, security, including the situation in and around Ukraine. They will also state clearly that, of course, we are ready to sit down and listen to Russian concerns. But we also say clearly that we will not compromise on some core principles, uh, including the right for every nation in Europe to or every nation to choose its own path, including whether or not it wants to be part of a uh, alliance as NATO, um, uh, and uh, NATO's right to defend and protect uh, all allies. Um, uh, we also uh, identify uh, arms control as an area where we can uh, talk. Uh, missiles, uh, uh, nuclear. Uh, we have seen that that has worked before. Uh, for instance, the ban on all uh, intermediate range missiles um, we had for many years, um, which was extremely important for Europe. We should re-engage in talks on on how to Im impose limits uh, on missiles uh, and other weapon uh, systems. Um, uh, then transparency on, uh, on military activities. This is very much illustrated now, uh, they, they, they are going to have exercises in Belarus with uh, tens of thousands of uh, Russian troops, uh, with uh, advanced weapon systems, with uh, with missiles and so on. Of course, that is, we need transparency, we need, we need mandatory uh, uh, inspections and so far Russia has always denied that, so we need to, to strengthen the mechanisms for transparency on military activities. Uh, this is part of something that is called the Vienna document, negotiated within the OC uh, framework, uh, and also mechanisms for risk reduction to prevent incidents and accidents, and if they happen, uh, make sure that they don't spiral out of control. So, so these are some examples of issues we have identified, we have put our proposals on the table, on how we can sit down and address uh, some of the Russian security concerns and reduce tensions and uh, and uh, and and uh, and address uh, issues of, for instance, offensive weapons, uh, missiles. But this has to be balanced. It has to be uh, reciprocal and it has to be uh, verifiable. But that kind of issues, we are absolutely ready to sit down and discuss. And Secretary General, let, let me ask you whether there's anything in your written response that speaks to the fundamental uh, Russian complaint that uh, their security is threatened because the alliance is so close to their borders and that asks for an ironclad guarantee that Ukraine would not be a member. You, you've made it clear, as has President Biden, that a guarantee like that is a non-starter. But in your response, did you, for example, re reiterate the membership criteria for NATO, which by most people's judgment uh, would mean that Ukraine would be a distant, uh, if ever, uh, likely member uh, of the alliance. Anything like that that speaks indirectly to the fundamental Russian concerns? Also, I think that confidentiality is a precondition for any diplomatic uh, progress or success. So therefore we have not uh, publicized the document because we are ready to sit down and uh, talk in good faith and uh, and also identify avenues. Uh, some of these issues have to be uh, uh, addressed bilaterally, US, uh, uh, Russia, in, in what's called the strategic uh, talks uh, um, on, for instance, nuclear issues. Um, but then, of course, from the US side, in very close consultation with uh, NATO allies, as they have done again and again. Um, uh, some may be discussed in the OC framework and some may be discussed 
uh, in the NATO Russia Council. So, so different issues have to be addressed in different uh, formats. I also think, for instance, that the Normandy format, uh, uh, where you have Germany and 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 France, is also uh, a format to, for instance, uh, address some of the issues we are more specific on the situation in and around uh, Donbas. Um, uh, uh, well, what we have made clear is that, of course, to become a NATO ally, uh, you have to be. Uh, uh, NATO is is for uh, for for North America, U.S. and Canada, and for uh, European countries. That's enshrined in the Washington Treaty. So the first uh, the first was I say threshold to pass is to be a European country. Uh, but second, um, you have to share our values: uh, democracy, rule of law, individual liberty, and thirdly. You have to meet NATO standards and has to has to has to in a way um, uh, 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 so strengthen uh, transatlantic uh, security. So therefore, when it comes to Ukraine, our focus has been and still is on reforms, on 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 helping them to modernize the defense and security institutions, to to meet NATO standards, to to fight corruption, and this this is the focus, and we have made that clear to Ukraine, uh, but also, of course, to uh, to Russia, because this is this is well known that that's the focus of NATO. But there is a huge difference uh, about uh, between discussing when Ukraine can be a member of NATO and uh, and to say that we should sign a legally binding treaty excluding any enlargement of NATO, uh, because that, that, that goes far beyond Ukraine. That includes, for instance, Finland and Sweden. And one of the things that I think we should all uh, carefully note is that Finland and Sweden, uh, countries which are now currently not applying for membership, they have called very clearly on NATO not to sign such a binding treaty. I spoke with the Swedish Prime Minister, uh, uh, Magdalena Andersson, and, uh, and the Finnish President, Nynesto, and they both conveyed the same message, that for them uh, uh, to see that NATO signs a treaty that makes it impossible uh, any time in the future, for, forever, uh, uh, for Sweden or uh, Finland to join NATO would actually undermine their right to choose their own path. So this is about a fundamental right for all allies, uh, or for all countries, to decide whether they want to uh, belong to NATO or not, and that's for the aspirant countries and 30 allies to decide no one else. That principle will not compromise on. So, Mr. Secretary General, we've we've run out of time. I am going to ask you to, in the briefest way, answer what I think of as the Dave Petraeus question posed to him as U.S. forces were heading into Iraq in 2003. Tell me how this ends. I will not tell you that because there is too much uncertainty. What I can tell you is that we will stand united, uh, uh, NATO allies, um, uh, both in our efforts to find a political uh, solution, as we have done with uh, our common positions, our common invitations uh, to, uh, uh, to Russia, but also stand united if Russia once again uh, chooses uh, to use military force against uh, a neighbor. Uh, united our support to Ukraine, uh, but also uh, a valid partner, but also united in our rock-solid and unwavering commitment to protect and defend all allies. And by doing that, we will deter uh, uh, any armed attack against a NATO-allied country. Secretary General, we are immensely grateful to you for spending this time with us to explain a crisis that has riveted the world's attention. Thank you for being with us today on Washington Post Live.
Thank you so much for having me. It's a great honor. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.